Welcome to the conference room with this week's guest, Uri Levy. Strategy without execution is fantasy. And I seriously believe that this is uh, so true. Um, you need to have the strategy, but you need to have the execution. And from execution standpoint, it's a combination of a couple elements, right? Welcome to The Conference Room, a weekly podcast where business leaders and growth experts kindly share their experiences, actionable tips, and secrets to successfully grow a business. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It'll really help us out. And I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to The Conference Room. Good afternoon and welcome to The Conference Room. I'm joined by Uri Levy. Uri is an experienced cybersecurity executive with a successful track record in the strategic and operational turnaround of technology and cyber companies. He's a graduate of Reichman University and gained his MBA from Tel Aviv University and over the last 25 years has built and managed leading network and security solution providers and consistently achieved sustained growth and brand leadership. His career spans leadership positions with companies such as Computer Associates, PSINet, Expert Systems, Netcom Systems, and Skybox Security. Since September 2020, he's been the Senior Vice President of Worldwide Sales with leading cyber vendor XM Cyber. And I'm delighted that he's joining us here today in the conference room. Uri Levy, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Thank you, Simon. Good to be here. Hi, everybody. Fantastic. So every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how did you get from starting out, graduating university, rising through the ranks to now being senior vice president worldwide sales at XM Cyber? Thanks, Simon. So my story is quite straightforward through my childhood and growing up. I really like to sort of fix stuff, right? And technology was always something that intrigued me. During my high school times, I got my first Spectrum computer very early on and learned how to code and to develop software. And basically, after my army service, I decided to go and study computer science, which I actually started with a new university, which is, I think, I believe today is the number one university in Israel. Amazing program by amazing professors really looked about not just the coding, but the whole aspects of the mathematics and databases and a lot of different domains. And they were really very pioneer in the interdisciplinary approach of bringing around skilled education, even for someone that's learning software engineering or software or computer sciences, which came to a fruitful and productive results later after. So I started basically to work during my computer science uh, studies. I started as an QA. Then I got an offer to go on a development job. But very soon I decided that I actually have much more fun with people rather than line of codes. After my graduation, I decided to move across the lines to more of consulting and business side affairs in the business. And how did you get from being more of an individual contributor to rising through the ranks through 
team leadership, management, and now global management? I think basically, Simon, it's embedded in you, right? In your personality, in your DNA. I think it's a combination of, I really like to learn stuff. I'm truly an autodidact. One of my greatest joys in life is to learn and educated by new things that I'm actually researching and studying myself. So that's one kind of a dimension. The other dimension is the, always the need, the drive to fix stuff, to improve stuff, to make things better. A passion that you hold that really drive you throughout the different roles and different jobs that you're doing. I remember still early days growing in Israel and I had constant argues with my parents, which I was always saying, we need to fix that. We need to improve that. We need to probably have a better approach here. It's something that you grow into and take with you when you're kind of starting your own career path. Right. No, absolutely. So something that always I'm always intrigued to understand when I'm talking to someone who manages managers, which your role as senior vice president of global sales and through your career, you've kind of graduated through from managing yourself managing a team of individuals now and for the last few years in the latter part of your time at skybox now you're managing a team of managers who are in turn managing people so what do you think are the different challenges the difference between managing individuals and managing the people that are managing sure. individuals and how as a leader do you make that adjustment so I can tell you about myself. I really like to be in the trenches. I'm not a guy that sits behind Salesforce or Excel files. I'm very much data-driven person. I like to look at numbers, metrics, KPIs, instead of being in the trenches, meeting customers, meeting partners, meeting the team. Finally, most of the organizations that I choose to work with are having a fairly flat structure. So from a cultural standpoint, even if I have like three, four levels below me, I always have the freedom to chat directly with anyone. We don't need to, in order to speak to a sales rep, go through their regional sales VP and then the theater VP and maybe others. I think we uh, believe in a sort of peer-to-peer -peer flat structure that allows the organization to be much more intimate, to understand how things are happening, to help people that are struggling to identify problems soon in the process and be much more involved in the making. That part of it is also your personal style. Are you leading by example? Are you leading by teaching the team how to do their work or by just authority, right? I always believe that I need to be the sort of consultant, mentor type of leader that help the team to perform better. And by the way, a lot of my reports are much more skilled, talented than me, right? So in many ways, I think my role is to be the conductor or the orchestrator that actually allow the team to realize their potential in the best possible way and make the overall performance better for everyone. Right. I hear that when you're managing individuals, okay? But if you don't mind me pressing you just a little bit, that manifests itself when you're managing managers. You're another level removed. So 
the decisions and the actions that you take as, as an individual contributor manifest themselves in your results directly, okay, or should do. The decisions and actions you take when you're managing individuals are one step removed. When you're managing the managers, it's even further removed from the actual actions on the ground. Obviously, taking into account the fact that you don't want to undermine their local VP and you want to obviously work in tandem with them, how do you pull that lever when there are still two cogs between the lever and the actual machine? Again, I think the, and we will probably speak about scaling and growing, right? I hate micromanagement. Micromanagement is not a good practice. It could work for a certain period of time, but it's the number one enemy if you want to scale and you want to build the organization and you want to build the organizational muscle that will accelerate the business, will allow you to overcome bottlenecks and constraints. The way to do it is really to empower your managers to be a better manager, to identify problems, to align them with your strategy, with the corporate objectives. I don't think that fundamentally there is a difference if you are managing the managers or the individuals, as long as you understand and you're working together with them. And every employee or every um, manager has cons and pros, has strengths and weaknesses. I think you need to know that and be able to identify. It's mainly not just because of being a genius or whatever. It's just about experience. Because in, in many ways, I see in them myself, you know, a few years back, right? So uh, fundamentally, we have the same challenges, the same obstacles. Basically, in cyber and high tech, in our business, there's a lot of repeatable phenomena in the business life, right? How you qualify an opportunity, how you focus on things that matter. It's a repeated set of things that you need to be able to identify and drive to the right performance and the right actions. So it's a joint work where firstly and foremostly, I'm removing the sort of the delineation or the distance from my subordinates and working together with them, how are we improving the overall performance of their teams, right? I'm not against them. I'm not going to come and say, hey, you, you didn't do your work well, right? I'm working together with them to make sure that we can improve. And in general, my philosophy is that like the Japanese Kaizen, it's all about constant improvement. Mm. As long as you think that the team you have and the managers you have are skilled and capable. It's just a matter of making the adjustments and the small steps that will contribute big impact. You're all good. Right. No, I love that. That's fantastic. So you touched on it briefly earlier. Of, um, the biggest enemy to growth is micromanagement. Okay. Let's flip it on its head. What do you think are the primary building blocks and components that an organization needs to have and you as a leader need to exploit in order to achieve hypergrowth? So hypergrowth is really sort of enigmatic problem, right? There is no silver bullet. There is no one formula because otherwise everyone would be on hypergrowth. And I think that the point is to build a strategy, right? That first and foremost, you understand what is your market, 
with your customer, with your persona, you really understand what's the value that you bring, what's differentiate you from the other competitors in the market. And you fanatically focusing on that strategy. And I think people said once that strategy without execution is fantasy. I seriously believe that this is so true. You need to have the strategy, but you need to have the execution. And from execution standpoint, it's a combination of couple elements, right? First, you need to bring the talents for the job. They need to fit for purpose, right? If you are going to sell, if your strategy stating that you are going to sell to large Fortune 500 enterprises, you need to bring the talent and the muscle and the brain for people that can actually engage, has an experience, know how to work with those enterprise customers to navigate in the maze of those enterprises and know how to bring a product or bring a value to those type of customers in the market. And then someone can say, oh, they are truly very expensive people. It's true. You need to align the size of the deal with the size of the customers to the talents and the team that you're putting in place that are going to execute the strategy that you put in place. All of the pieces, like in a jigsaw, needs to align together. So is really, I would say, the product market fit and the delivery model. And I think we saw in the last five to 10 years a dramatic revolution in that aspect. I remember working in previous lives with organizations that provided on-premise software. We grew quite fast. We had a lot of demand for the product. But at some point, you get into a situation where on every new million dollar you are selling, you need 10, 10 people to hold on to the customer, to have the QA and the maintenance of the software and to have the project managers on site and the professional services that will deploy and support the customer. And eventually becoming very inefficient model where you're selling 100 million, you're spending 200, 300. So one of the components of hyper growth is really efficiency. You need to have an efficient model. You need to be able to scale fast without too much of overhead, with too much of burden. You need to be able to deliver fast time to value for customers. Customers today, and it's funny, it's almost like generation thing. I remember that a few years back, we spoke to, we sold to a certain army, the people that were relatively young, right? And you saw that the user interface they are looking for is something that looks like Facebook or WhatsApp. The old traditional user interface of the 80s didn't really make any impact, right? And the customers that you're having today, these are the white generation. They don't have patience. They have very short bandwidth of attention. And the attention span is getting slimmer and slimmer. And we need to adjust our sales motion, our value proposition to the people that are actually going to use the software and get the value out of it. So that's another important piece, how you fit the product and the product capabilities. It's not about if it's a good product or bad product. Is it fit to the audience that you are selling to? Is and, how, it- and how do you verify that? So there is some trial and error. 
there is a lot of discussions and questions. And I like a lot to use customers and prospects as advisors. And I think in general, overall, all my career was all about consultancy type of selling, right? How we come to solve a problem. We come to solve a pain. And instead of trying to push down the throat of the customer a product that he may not need, just sit down with the customer, understand their pains, understand what's preventing them from being successful. It might be fitting to your product, it might not, but it will give you a good understanding how you position the product in the best way to the same customers with the same pains and the same use cases. So I think it's about having a good product, people that know to speak and to listen to the customer and basically translate the needs and the pains into product features. It's about communicating and not less important, understanding that you have different audiences inside an organization. It's one thing to sell to the CEO. It's another thing to sell to a sales ad, to the system admin or the security professional. It's a different dialogue, different value and different discussions. Right. Okay. So when you talk about product market fit, within the world of cyber that you've been a specialist in for the last 25 years, there are a number of products in any market that seem very, very difficult to differentiate between. I mean, if you look at XM Cyber, for example, the company that you're currently leading the, you know, the team of, there are a number of other BAS breach and attack simulation vendors that are out there. When you were at Skybox, there are a number of other firewall management, network, security mm-hmm. management companies, policy management companies that are out there. Yet, you've been incredibly successful in scaling these organizations. So what's the secret source when it comes to positioning product in a very competitive field and getting heard above the chatter? So it's definitely a tough question, right? Anyway, so a couple of things. First, the cyber market in general is overcrowded, right? There is always the question, are we going to position ourselves in an existing crowded sub-market or segment in the market where there is some level of demand, there is clarity, there are budgets that are allocated to procure solution in that segment? But on the other side, it's crowded. You have a bit of vagueness, who is doing what and what's the differentiation versus inventing a new category that requiring a lot of education, a lot of investment in brand awareness, creating, working with analysts, creating a new segment. It's almost like the traditional bio-build question. It's the fundamental question you need always to ask yourself. I don't have a silver bullet answer, but I will try my best to actually cover a couple of factors that helping me answer and address this question. One element is the total addressable market. What is basically the size of the market or the segment, right? Having six, seven tiny competitors in tiny market segment that even if growing fast, it will take ages until it will be a large market. And even if you take 20% of the market, it will not take you anywhere. So you need to be very clear about 
what good looks like at the end of the journey, not in the beginning, because you can actually make an amazing execution. You can drive everything well and get 30% of the market, which worth 100 million. So your market cap will be 30 million. That's not a good performance. So I think one of the fundamental elements is to position you or to drive your positioning into large addressable market, right? So that's kind of the first hint. The second is you need to look for markets that sometimes in the way that analysts works, they're trying to cluster a lot of animals that looks the same. Many times they are not really looking, they are not really the same. They are different. They are might using the same technology, but the use case or the pains they are solving is different. So you need to be able to exploit that in order to differentiate yourself from the rest of the pack. The third is really, can you outperform because of delivery model, because of creating blue ocean strategy, where you have the ability to access a captive market that no one else can do. These are all kinds of tactics or strategies that could help you establish a great positioning and own a segment in the market. The last is pivoting, right? You might be fall into a specific segment, but with not a lot of effort and with just telling a different story, just using the same technology and the same capabilities, you can actually pivot into a much broader market with less competition and better chances to succeed. I think one of the problems in our industry is that people have a siloed skill set. I think a good leader needs to understand the product, needs to understand the market, needs to understand the buyer journey, how to sell, how all the pieces, obviously the cost model, how all the pieces comes together and how you actually create a strategy that outperform the competitors. Wow, I love that. That's fantastic. We've been talking a lot over the last couple of months about the state of the global economy, Russia fighting Ukraine, global cost of living crisis, and people, some would argue, talking themselves into a recession. So as the market gets tougher, particularly if you're in a competitive market, the ability to perform and to scale gets tougher. So how do you as a leader address that? How do you accommodate that? It's a great question. I think there are a couple of things that we need to look at. In recession times, either even if it's a real recession or perceived recession, organizations want to be more efficient. They want basically to consolidate. In you know good times, everyone can buy a software and maybe use it in 20% of the time or the utilization would be relatively low. But you find customers that have a lot of software they bought and they are not using it, right? So the number one thing when organizations are and the economy is shrinking, every CEO is saying we need to do more with what we have. So basically, some of the software pieces will go out. Some of the existing software will be used more and the organization will find ways to improve the utilization of the existing investments they made. Now, if you have a good strategy, you can actually exploit that. So for example, 
if you have multiple functions, multiple models, you come with a platform that replace multiple different products, it basically makes more sense economically for organizations to swap, to replace. They consolidate the amount of vendors they're using. They're having one software that do more. They can actually uh, use that software to make other software pieces that they have in the organization work better. And they can improve the overall performance as they go. The second element is looking at not just the product you are selling, but the value that the customer is getting. And I cannot underestimate the value of services, advisory services, complementary services that coming with the technology. Bringing a technology, bringing a product into a customer without the ability to extract the value is basically a very short-term execution plan and strategy, and it will not fly unless it's very intuitive, not for enterprise customers. Enterprise customers are complicated environments. They're using complicated software. They need help to extract the value. You need to be able to bring the top-notch customer success teams and consultants that will help the customer under the umbrella of the product to extract the value. And in recession times, this is 10 times even more important. Yeah, no, fantastic. Okay. So, Uri, what would you say are your top three tips for somebody who perhaps wants to follow in your footsteps and scale software vendors? What would your top three tips to scaling a business be? Fundamentally, I would look at three elements. One is know the market. So basically, pick and choose the right market for you that has relatively large addressable market that has identified demand and that you feel comfortable that you can actually reasonably operate well in that market. That's picking the right market is almost like 90% of success. Many times, by the way, you see a lot of examples of failing companies that were just banging their heads against the wall of that market and wishing that eventually the market will be created, the demand will arrive, and, and it doesn't. And you need to know whenever you're just banging the head one more time or you're basically pivoting and finding an adjacent market that you can execute better. So that's one. The second is really align your execution plan, your teams, your talents, your deployment model, your delivery model into the way that the customers, where the customers are existing, how they are buying, what their habits of buying. Really, it's about Pareto. You know, 20% of the customers will bring 80 to 90% of the revenue, especially at the beginning. You need to make sure that you know how to address those 20% deals and make them and close them and make them work well for you. Almost like fanatically, remove a lot of activities that taking value, not contribute value. You cannot believe how much there is negative atrophy in organizations doing stuff that are not creating any value. It's just unbelievable. And once everyone is focused on what's important, what's contributed to achieving the goals and objective of the company, 
it's an amazing impact across the board. That's fantastic. So, Uri, what's next for you and for XM Cyber? In fact, tell me a little bit about XM Cyber for people that are listening that aren't familiar with the company. What does XM Cyber do? So, XM Cyber provides a, a groundbreaking software platform that allows organizations to really have the attacker view of their network and understand for the first time what type of exposure, what exposures, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, misconfiguration, misbehavior, mismanaged credentials could be actually leveraged by even not sophisticated attacker. And focusing on that and fix that first, because these are what we call the game over problems. Most organizations are struggling with too much data, which is out of context. They're fixing stuff that are not risking their critical assets. And they are not fixing the game over issues that if an attacker will find, they're in a game over situation. So what we are bringing is a platform that allows them actually for the first time identify what is important, what is risking their most critical assets and fix it in a very fast time with a very good cost remediation ratio. Basically, we're allowing organizations to remove what we call choke points. Choke points are elements in their environment that multiple attack paths are converging through or traversing through. And by fixing only one element, you cut off multiple attack paths, risking your most critical assets. So that's kind of our secret sauce and our innovation. And that's allowing our customers very quickly, very fastly and very productively to remove and eradicate risk that is enormous. And we're seeing time and time again how our customers in a time where almost every second, third organization is being breached, how they improve their security resiliency and their security posture. And one of the things that we are providing is actually that continuous scoring of their security posture so they can know and they can report to the board of their directors how they are protected and how the most important crown jewels of the organization are protected. It's a really a groundbreaking approach. It really provides a lot of efficiency in times that a lot of organizations has a short of skills and human power. And in times that you need analytics and sophisticated software analytics to, pro to solve large-scale problems. That's what we do. I'll make sure we put the link to your website uh, in the show notes. And Or if people wanted to reach out and connect with you, how can they best do that? Uh, LinkedIn would be probably the best. Uh, I, I would be happy to connect with peers. Uh, Ori Levitt, thank you so much for coming into the conference room. I mean, I, I've learned so much about scaling, about product market fit, and uh, some of the uh, stuff you were talking about in terms of determining the total addressable market was absolute gold. So uh, uh, I wish you and XM Cyber every success. But in the meantime, Ori Levy, thank you so much for coming and joining us here at the conference room. Thank you very much, Simon. It was a pleasure. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to CEO of cybersecurity vendor Cyberint, Yochai Korem. 
your goal as a, as, a, as a manager is to pick, uh, take people which are not that good and put them to be good and uh, transform them and people who are excellent help them to grow to their next career step which is not always easy because they also have inspirations and you need to push them uh, forward and may you may lose them thanks so much for listening we really appreciate it and make sure you visit our website theconferenceroompodcast.com to see all the other episodes and to get access to the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode if you enjoyed the episode please share it with your network or better still go on to apple podcasts or spotify or any other podcast platform and leave us a five-star review it'll only take you a moment but it'll mean the world to us and please don't hesitate to tell us which topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes to get in touch drop us a line in the comment section or send us a message on social media just search for the conference room podcast or me simon lader on facebook linkedin Instagram or TikTok. I'm always open to a conversation. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you'll be alerted when a new episode goes live every week. Thanks so much for listening to The Conference Room and until next time, keep talking.